Hi Morgan, good to see you again. Good morning. For those that don't know you, could you give me a quick intro in terms of who you are, what you do and why you do it? So uh, my name is Morgan Lobb and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vesida.com. Uh, Vesida is a diversity and inclusion attraction website. Um, I set the business up seven years ago. Previously it was Diversity Jobs. Um, we rebranded last year to Vesida.com because we're going international. Uh, and we help companies to attract diversity into their organisations. Okay, excellent. So for many people, diversity and inclusion can be used together as words, or they can be used interchangeably. But I understand that they mean different things. Could you kind of elaborate on that for me? They do. So uh, inclusion and diversity, or diversity inclusion, D&I, however you want to say it, um, they are two very well-defined terms in the fact that they do bring different things to the table. So diversity is about difference and it's about bringing different people together uh, in, in the sense of if the workplace. Inclusion is about them making that work. And actually the studies show that when you have diversity without inclusion, it becomes counterproductive um, in the workplace. So you can look, for example, Places like Bradford, very diverse, but if it's, you don't have inclusion in blended within that, you get race riots. So actually bringing diverse people together, but then implementing a plan of inclusion will make sure you've got harmony between those groups working together. Because obviously there is difference, and where there is difference, sometimes there can be friction created. So there really is a defined um, way to look at diversity inclusion together uh, for productivity. How can an organisation identify whether they've got an issue around either diversity or inclusion or, or in fact both? Well, in some cases, the issue can be as simple as visual. Um, if everybody looks like each other, um, then you have a homogenous environment. And what we want to do is we want to create diversity. So um, you can actually get many groups of people who look the same who are in fact diverse because they may have hidden disabilities or their sexual orientation may not be disclosed uh, or parental caring responsibilities, religious beliefs, that type of thing. But in terms of how organisations can look at that, a really good way of doing it is to ask your staff base. Um, so through sense checks internally, um, you can ask these questions and if you get the prefer not to say boxed tick too many times, it will give you an idea that people aren't in an environment where they feel comfortable to, to talk about their difference. So the diversity bit can be, you know, do we look different or everybody exactly the same? Um, but the inclusion bit is do people feel comfortable about revealing the fact that they are different from each other so they're happy to do that? Exactly. And in, 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 close, in, in an inclusive culture, I'm going to put my teeth back in, <laughs> um, productivity does go up. So the research shows that diversity with inclusion will create better creative thinking, you will be able to reach out to larger audiences uh, in terms of how you voice to market. So it's about that connectivity on a, on a level that reaches many different people and a wider audience. So you spoke a second ago about some of the advantages of, of diversity and inclusion. Um, have, have, has this been proven um, within organisations that they've moved from being maybe less diverse and not particularly inclusive to being more diverse and more inclusive? But they've, they've actually identified commercial returns on that? There's a huge amount of research out there to suggest that diversity um, is good for the bottom line. And I think really that's come into play more so in the last couple of years. Diversity previously was seen as this kind of HR thing that was a bit stick-wieldy and people felt like they had to do it. 
Um, if we just look at the simple metric of the fact that right now in the UK, for example, we've got more people employed than ever before. So employers are out there trying to win talent into their organisation. If their organisation is perceived as not friendly or welcoming to certain groups like the LGBT community or BAME, which is black and minority ethnic groups, then then really not going to be seen as an employer choice by those people. And in that inherent nature, they are going to be deselected by those individuals as a go-to uh, place to work. That's not good for their business. If the best person for the job happens to be black and gay and they don't see that employer as the employer of choice, then that employer's just lost out on that talent. And what we want to be doing at this time is widening the talent pool, not shrinking it. So even beyond the kind of moral, moral, ethical, philanthropic reasons for doing diversity and inclusion, which clearly both me and you are passionate about, there actually is hard commercial reasons to do it as well because you're cutting down your talent pool. Well, you're cutting down your talent pool. By doing that, you're then not bringing on talent that recognises the markets that you're trying to serve. So I'll give you an example. Um, the disability industry or the disability spend, as I should say, uh, is worth around £200 billion a year. Uh, it's estimated that LGBT spend, or the pink pound, is 100 billion a year, um, and the ethnic spend, or non-white British, is around 300 billion. Now, if your organisation doesn't employ those individuals, how can you understand the buying habits of those individuals? And on a global market, we want to understand the buying habits as as many people as we can, so we can provide products and services to them. It helps when you have those types of individuals understanding what those markets need to then be able to serve those individuals who are buying your products. So assuming a company has realised that they perhaps have some challenges around diversity and inclusion, and they've realised the benefits of, of getting those things right, um, before an organisation goes out to market and starts hiring more diverse talent, I'm, I'm sure there's certain things they need to fix internally make themselves ready so to speak what what are the kind of basics they need to get right well there when you are a growing organization and you recognize that you need to change the demographic of your workforce it really helps to put provisions in place for the needs of those that are then going to be entering your workforce because otherwise we have the diversity and we don't have the inclusion so you might want to consider things like a multi-faith room we're just about to enter into Diwali or we're, we're, we're there now so how are we going to treat how are we going to treat colleagues who are coming in that have different faiths and have different needs such as the need to fast or the need to pray at certain times during the day are we going to provide provisions for returning mothers into the workplace do we have a multi-faith room? Do we have uh, provisions for our LGBT colleagues that might not feel comfortable coming out in the workplace? So are we joining up with Pride? And do we have a, an allies programme to, to make sure that it's an environment where people feel safe to be themselves? And really that's the key with the diversity and the inclusion part, is about people feeling comfortable and confident that they can talk about who they are without ridicule and their diversity is celebrated by the organisation and not seen as some secret that needs to be buried away. So for, for example, if somebody has epilepsy or they've had a previous mental health condition, how open is that workplace to receive that? What happens at the top of the organisation? Because this is really where diversity is led. If those who are lower down the ranks in the organisation 
not seeing any diversity of thought or acceptance from the top tiers of the organization, then that behavior plays out throughout the organization. That's where it's really dictated is, is at the top executive level. If that message coming down from the top is one of acceptance for individuals, then that's really where they can make the wins is about uh, senior directors talking about diversity in a way that is productive to the company and acceptable for all internally. And imagine in, in some organisations, some maybe more traditional industries where if you took a quick survey of the workforce, it might be predominantly white, predominantly British, predominantly male. Um, there's going to be some inherent biases there, m not necessarily through um, anything malicious, but actually just through ignorance and lack of exposure. What can you do to tackle those kind of unconscious biases that often might be? So you're, at, you're absolutely right. Unconscious bias is a big problem. Nobody wants to put their hand up and say, I'm a racist or I'm homophobic or I'm ageist, but actually we all have those inherent biases internally. And it, we talk a lot about unconscious bias, but there's also something called affinity bias, which affects that. And affinity bias is about the fact that we feel comfortable with people that look like us, sound like us, and act like us. And that's the real issue in business, is the fact that People are hiring and giving pay rises and elevating the career status of individuals that they feel comfortable with. And that's not good for business in the fact that if a colleague happens to be Sikh and, and, and I'm not Sikh and I don't understand that, we don't go to the pub together uh, and we don't uh, go to football games together, then I might feel slightly uncomfortable with that individual, even though they're the most qualified for the role that's pending for the promotion. Really what we want is the best person for the role with offering the best skill sets for the role to be selected for the job, regardless of whether we feel that we have that affinity with that individual. It's about the organization being as productive as it can with the people that it has. So unconscious bias training is something that's known by a lot of organizations, but it's also about keeping a check of those affinity biases and really looking at who we're promoting through the organization. So making sure there's not a negative lean away from people that are different to you and vice versa, there's not too much of a positive lean to those people who are, are very similar. It's that kind of halo and horns to a certain extent that people often talk about, it, isn't it's it? It's exactly that. And what happens <coughs> with that uh, effect is it's called groupthink. When we have groupthink, we have lots of individuals within an organisation that look like each other, sound like each other, and probably have similar kind of backgrounds. They tackle problems in the same way. So... What we do, we, what we have when we get groupthink is lots of people coming to the same types of conclusions. With diversity of thought, we have that moment of, ah, oh, I didn't think of it from that point of view because my life hasn't led me to that point of view. My problem solving is very different. So diversity of thought is very important. So assuming an organisation is ready <laughs> to hire more diverse talent, um, they've put in place some of the recommendations you've made around being more inclusive, etc. Um, how do they actually go about it? So I'm thinking here the messaging channels, recruit the recruitment process itself, making sure that's inclusive. What, what do we need to do? So this has been a problem that's been faced by lots of organisations. You know, I believe there's around two and a half million businesses in the UK. Um, we've got around 30,000 recruitment agencies and, and thousands of job boards. And still we're faced with this problem of a lack of diversity through many organisations. Now, we see this problem as being solvable in the fact we need to stop doing what we've always done. Yeah, with this huge resource of an industry that we have, we're still not tackling the problem of diversity and how we solve it. 
when an organization is ready to start to identify the fact that they they have diversity and they want to perpetuate what they have it's about celebrating that diversity and bringing it into the recruitment strategy when we look across the organizations that we work with and they approach us and they say we want to recruit more senior women or we we want to have a more ethnic diverse population and we want to be the employer choice to the lgbt population really what we're saying is right now you are not seen as an employer of choice by those individuals otherwise you wouldn't have a diversity mm. issue so what we want to do is start to celebrate what you have done with those um, individuals within your organization we find that many or slightly larger employers mainly will have started a disability steering group or they have their pride group or they have their BME networks but that kind of exists within the company or the employer it doesn't exist as part of the recruitment strategy so we find that there are then pockets or silos or fragmented mm. groups within the organization that aren't being leveraged off or aren't being brought together as something that the organization can use as an external facing part of their employer value proposition so it's great that we've got a black network and it's great we've got our LGBT network, but often they aren't even talking to each other. They're not discussing what they're doing with a disability group because everyone's focused on their own diversity and their own desires to advance that within the organization. When you start to change the way that the recruitment teams operate in terms of bringing that into the fold, so starting to use their pride photographs as part of their recruitment strategy, starting to talk about what they've been doing internally around Black History Month, for example, and externalizing that with the job descriptions, it starts to make an emotional connection with the individual. So it becomes one of, oh, I didn't know that about that organization. I didn't realize that they were LGBT friendly because my bias as a job seeker says that that particular industry doesn't want me as a black man or it doesn't want me as a returning mother because I see the, the rail industry as one of a macho kind of on the track side or I see law or financial services as being mainly white public school boys for example. And despite the fact that the employer is crying out for those, uh, that, that, that diversity to apply, we see them saying, we're just not getting applications from those groups. And we get the groups saying, we're just not seeing those employers wanting us as individuals. So there's that mismatch. So on one hand, there's the candidate saying, I'm not welcome. And the employer saying, we're just not getting applications. So we need to change that rhetoric and we need to change that voice. It's quite difficult for organisations to do that when their ATSs haven't been set up for that or they're managed offshore. So by the time they've won that Stonewall Award, that six months later, they're still not getting that information on their ATS. It's not being leveraged. So really what we're starting to see now is the combination of people starting to change the way that they're voicing. We're moving away from pure job description being the clickbait into the vacancy uh, mm. application and we're starting to see more of the play of this is the environment you will be in this is the types of people that we've got working for us and really the message becomes then if you're uncomfortable having senior female talent if you're uncomfortable having a gay manager or a seat manager this might not be the place for you
And then you, if they then say, yeah, I'm comfortable with that, that's when you lead them into looking at specific jobs, specific opportunities. So it's that kind of awareness bit at the top before showing them an actual real job. So you're kind of filtering out to a certain extent. It's showing them the culture <coughs> of your organisation. It's showing that um, really when we start to see the fact that wages aren't necessarily going up in line with inflation and, and lots of organizations are competing for the same type of talent they're not just going to keep pushing the wages up by 10k every month to 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 make that the attractive part they're talking about the benefits of working within that organization that's not just a cycle to work scheme a gym and a um a, a season ticket to get to work it's about these are the things that we're doing with within our organization to be accepting this is the returning program we've got for mothers these are the things that we've been doing on mental health these are the things that we do to celebrate our lgbt colleagues that makes people feel welcome and it makes them feel that they belong to something and if you look at belonging it's very high up on the maslow's hierarchy of needs we want to belong we want to be part of something we want to feel valued and when we get that from our employer we become much more loyal become much more productive so how can organisations be more inclusive for, for specific groups? Well, in order to um, reach specific groups, you, you've got to be attractive to them. It kind of goes on the basic sort of the law of attraction. You can't attract things to you that are not attracted to you. It's a physical impossibility. So in order to be attractive, you have to provide some point of attraction. Now, if an organisation gets to the point where they see that they have a lack of diversity and they wish to start to uh, increase that representation they need to obviously change what they've been doing it's the whole part of we can't keep carrying on doing what we're doing and expect a different result there are a lot of resources out there that are available to organizations to start to um, empower them in terms of their own knowledge and mindset internally so things like disability confident which is a scheme that replaced two ticks. It's free to join. There's three tiers of disability confident. Organisations can get on the journey and start to uh, join this uh, scheme that's been put together by the Department for Work and Pensions and learn more about what other organisations are doing to tap into that talent. They can look at things like uh, Stonewall uh, leadership. So they can go on and, and look at what the Stonewall are doing. They can start getting involved. They can become more ingrained in the LGBT com community. So it's about learning and it's about association. Think at Report, another government organisation um, which helps with gender reporting so we can start to see exactly where we are. It provides benchmarks. They're free to use. They're free for organisations to sign up to. Um, and it gives you a really good starting point to, to begin that journey. For those organisations that are starting from zero, maybe, maybe from both sides, they aren't particularly inclusive at the moment and they have very, very low levels of diversity. So their ability to go out and say, look at this great stuff we've done yeah. is pretty much zero because they haven't got any examples of it. Um, where can they start? How can they start to create those examples that they can talk about? So really it begins with the recognition. So when they wake up in that moment, they understand that they've reduced their talent pool, they're not being as productive, they, their market has changed and they, they want to increase the diversity within their organisation. It's about then having a honest conversation about why they're doing that. If they're doing it because they feel they should or they're trying to do it as part of winning a contract and they've got the form to fill out, um, it will become apparent very quickly that, that that is being tokenistic. That talent will then arrive into the organisation and feel awkward and uncomfortable and probably leave. So it becomes a complete waste of time. 
Organisations that start to have the conversation about why they're doing it, the, they can be very open and genuine with the fact that they even believe that it's good for, to, to, to be commercial within their, their business or their employment sector. It's about communicating that honesty with the job seeker. It's about people understanding that they're not suddenly going to walk into the organisation and they're going to have their arms thrown open because they happen to be black or they happen to be gay. It's about understanding why the organisation wants to change, that these individuals are part of a sea change and the fact that the organisation wants to celebrate the diversity in order to move forward as a business and understands that it's come from a point of weakness and wants to move towards a point of strength. And that diversity represents strength. What that will do for those individuals is it will turn their diversity from being the, the, the thing that they felt that they've had discriminated against them in the past to a point of empowerment. And if they understand that, actually, they don't need to change the name on their CV. They don't need to lie about um, the fact they have a hidden disability or they can be open with their sexual orientation. It means that they walk into the organisation feeling empowered about who they are and able to then utilise the full set of skills that they have without thinking that this thing that they have in the background is going to be used against them for their career progression. So my advice to employers that find themselves at that wake up moment is to really document, highlight, do things like we're doing today, have an interview with senior staff to talk about why this sea change is going through the organisation and be vocal about it. Don't worry about making the mistakes, look at other groups around you, look at organisations that are getting it right, network with them and replicate good behaviour. Um, we talked earlier about the attraction part of the recruitment process in terms of how diversity and, and your own approach to inclusion can be a strength, celebrating it, talking about it, etc., to attract more diverse talent. Is there anything we need to do with the process itself to make sure it is inclusive in its nature? So how people apply, how they're screened, how they're interviewed, um, to ensure that the best person comes out at the other end and they're not hindered in any way because of um, their background or who they might be? Well, I mean, that in itself is inherent to the actual process. I mean, at Vasida, for example, we can push out positive messages to the marketplace about an organisation. If that uh, candidate then applies to that employer and that message isn't consistent through the recruitment process, it starts to fall down. So, for example, if the website isn't accessible, um, if the department that they're going into um, isn't female friendly, for example, that person's going to feel awkward when they're going through the recruitment process. And then when they arrive into that department, if the inconsistencies have existed throughout, they're not going to feel comfortable, as I, as I mentioned earlier. So things like unconscious bias training, diversity awareness, the celebration of diversity internally, having the organisation know why diversity is on the agenda and why it's being celebrated and, and if it's being taken up by the organization throughout then people will buy into it rather than being told this is something we're doing and you have to do it that will create resistance that will create a bad experience it's about people celebrating the diversity wanting it to happen seeing its me merits within um, the organization and pushing that message out together in a consistent format is there a place in the application process for blind applications, so CVs with names removed? We keep hearing about it a lot online and on social that people have gone in, applied for a job with their actual name and then applied for it with a very anglicised John Smith 
and they've seen massively different results in terms of the response rate they get back, whether they're called for interview. So is there a place for applications being made completely blind and devoid of names, or is that just masking the problem? Well, what blind application does is it gets the foot in the door for the individuals you just said. What it the dangers of it is it can move the discrimination down the recruitment life cycle. And if so, it doesn't tackle the inherent problems that that organisation has at the base level. If an organisation, uh, particular departments or line managers, haven't had the right type of training, as we keep coming back to unconscious bias, it just moves that discrimination. So that person will be screened out at a later stage. Um, there is a lot of studies, uh, HS2 have got a fantastic blind CV application process in, and they have seen the take up of underrepresented groups go up within certain departments. So we know it works at some level, but the organisation has to support that through the recruitment life cycle for it to truly work. And I guess if you, if you analyse where your diversity challenge is, if it's not the percentage of diverse talent we hire after they attend interview, it's how many we actually call to interview, that blind piece can help. Exactly it can, it can identify where the dropout rates are. Yeah, perfect. Morgan, thanks for your time, really appreciate it. You're very Good welcome, you. thank you very much too.